0: Got some bands of marriage to read.
1: Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Uh, so our reading is on page 1018, and um, it's at chapter twelve, starting at verse twenty-eight. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. Praise
0: to you, O Christ. We're going to uh, consider what that might mean for us in a few moments. First, we're going to sing again. If the band would like to come up. One of the teachers of the law asked him, "Of all the commandments, which is the most important?" The most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, that begs the question, doesn't it? Well, who is my neighbor and what does it mean to love them? What does it look like uh, to love them? That was a question that Jesus was once um, asked. Someone literally said to him, "Lord, good teacher, who is my neighbor?" And Jesus, as he so often did, answered with a story. And it's a well-known story, it's the story of the good samaritan. And of course, you know the story, there's a man walking from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, he's set upon by robbers, uh, along the way he's uh, beaten up, He's stripped naked, uh, he's knocked unconscious, and he's left by the side of the road. And several people walk past him, a Pharisee, a scribe, and then uh, finally uh, a Samaritan person. The Samaritan stops, uh, helps him, takes him to an inn, and looks after him. Who was the man's neighbour, Jesus asks, and of course the answer is the Samaritan. It's the one who did the right thing. And that story would have had an extra resonance in Jesus' day. Because Jesus lived in a a society that was very conscious of uh, family ties. You knew who each other's children were. You knew who their grandparents were. People lived in the same towns and villages for generations. You belonged to a family. And then that family group, they would belong to a clan, a group of families, perhaps who lived in the same area. And then the clan would belong to a larger uh, tribe in the case of Israel, to the tribes of uh, uh, Judah and Benjamin and uh, the other uh, tribes. And then they would belong to a nation, the nation of Israel. And it's very clear who your neighbor was. They were part of your family. They were part of your clan. They were perhaps part of your tribe. And you'd have very clear uh, moral obligations and moral duties uh, towards them. And if anybody was found in need, if anybody was uh, destitute, if anybody was uh, without means, the first question that would be asked would be, well, who is their neighbour? Who is their clan? Who is of their tribe? Where are their family? It's their duty to provide for them. And of course, if a man is unconscious... On the side of the road, he can't say who his tribe is. He can't say who his clan is. If he's been stripped of his clothes, there's no way of uh, telling which nation he belongs to. If he can't speak, there's no accent to give away which region he's from. Is he from the north and the tribes in the north, or is he from the south and the tribes in the south? We can't tell by his clothes, we can't hear from his accent, he can't tell us uh, which tribe he is from. We don't know who his neighbour is. And so we don't know who has the moral obligation to care for him. So Jesus tells the story of the one who did something. The one who saw a need and acted. And Jesus says, this one is the good neighbour. From a Christian perspective, the world is my neighbour. From a Christian perspective, the person in need is the one who has a, 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 a cause that I have a moral obligation to seek to address. More than once, somebody has said to me, yeah, I know, Vicar, but it says in the Bible, charity begins at home. And I say, really? Really? I've never read that. Where does it say that? At which point, there's normally an embarrassed cough and a bit of scratching of heads. Who is my neighbor? The answer Jesus would give well, who is in need? And how can I love them? What does a Christian view of love look like? What does it mean to love uh, your neighbor? Three things I want to say about love uh, this morning. Of course, can't address the topic in one sermon, can't uh, exhaust the meaning of love in one talk. Uh, There might be 20 things I could say about love, but I want to just think about these three um, this morning. The first is this. Love values the other person. Love values the person in need doesn't see them as a problem to be solved, doesn't see them as a situation to be addressed and then escaped from, but sees them as a person made in God's image, a person for whom Jesus died, a person of infinite worth and infinite value. There's a big church in America called First Baptist Church, Dallas, Uh, Texas is part of what's known as the Bible Belt. Lots and lots of uh, Christians there. Uh, Dallas is the capital of of Texas. First Baptist Church, well, the most uh, common denomination are the Baptists in America. And First Baptist Church is the first uh, Baptist church founded in Dallas. So it's a big, uh, prestigious church. And as you might expect from that kind of church, they get a lot of weddings. A lot of couples come uh, to be married in that church. And uh, many years ago, there was a, a pastor there who uh, did very well out of the weddings that he took. And his secret was this. He would meet uh, with the couple. They'd come. They'd ask to be married in the church. He'd say, well, come and, come and talk to me about that. They'd sit in his study. He'd talk to them. He'd talk about the arrangements. He'd agree to take their, their, their wedding ceremony. And then there'd be a kind of awkward pause And the groom would say, and and, pastor, tell me, um, how much do we owe you for the wedding? And the pastor would say, oh, oh, young man, don't worry about that. Just give me what you think she is worth. (laughs) And uh, the young man would look at his bride, who was beaming, and he would take a deep breath. And he would write a cheque. Just give me what you think she is worth. How much does God think we are worth? What value does he place upon us? What's the most well-known verse in the Bible? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son but he gave his only begotten son. As you know, I used to uh, live in the Philippines, lived there for three and a half, four years, and uh, we worked in a very, very poor village, a village I would go to every week, several times uh, a, a week, and uh, would lead services there, would help people there, would be involved in, in the life of the village. It was incredibly poor. Uh, so poor that most people in the village lived in a, a, a little shack that they had built out of uh, corrugated iron that they had scavenged. That just little one-room shack a whole uh, family would live in. There was no uh, floor. It would just be uh, mud. People would sleep on, uh, in hammocks uh, that they would hang so they weren't lying on the, the dirty, pool, uh, dirty floor. Um, some of the children were schooled. Some of the children um, weren't schooled. Uh, one day I visited the village and uh, one of the mums came to me about her family uh, being in need. The situation was her husband had uh, disappeared and he'd taken the, the money, the family's money, with him. And she had no money to pay her rent, which was not much by our, our standards. Uh, just a few dozen dollars just to rent her little patch of ground that her little shack uh, was on. And uh, she was, if she couldn't find the money for her rent... Uh, she would not be able to um, uh, you know, live there. She'd be evicted from the land, and she had to pay the rent this week. And I knew that in my back pocket, I had enough money uh, to cover her rent and, and more. plus. So, of course, I gave her what I had, uh, wished her well, and, uh, and left. A week later, I returned uh, to the village, as I, as I did. Uh, saw her, and she was, she was beaming. And uh, they used to call me Father. The Catholic country used to call me uh, Father. She said, Father, Father, thank you so much for the money you gave me. I want you to show you what I've done with it. Look, come and see, look at this. And she took me to her little house, and her children were playing there, a little corrugated shack. And she proudly showed me what she'd done with her money. And she'd bought a digital camcorder. She'd gone to the local pawn shop, uh, she'd handed over half of the money, they'd given her a little uh, digital camcorder, uh, she'd taken her family to McDonald's, they all binged on fries and uh, uh, burgers, and she'd paid half of the rent that she was owed. And I was furious, I was absolutely furious. And I kind of said to myself, I'm never going to help you again. I gave you the money for the rent, I gave you more money for your family, you've wasted it on a digital camera, you don't have electricity, you can't even charge it, you don't have anything you can watch the movies on. It's ridiculous. You could have bought a week's worth of food with the money I gave you and yet you've gone and spent it at McDonald's. I didn't say anything, but that's what I thought. I think back to that now. I remember that her family had never been to McDonald's. And my family used to go every week as a little treat. I think about the money that she wasted on that trinket. And I think about our home full of mobile phones and laptops and iPods and iPads. I think about how she had never learned to budget... And I think she'd never needed to learn how to budget because she'd never had any money to budget with. She'd only ever lived hand to mouth. Enough money perhaps to get through um, each day. I realised that I looked at her and I thought less of her for the choices that she'd made. And then I realised they weren't really choices at all. She wanted to treat her family in the same way as I treat my family. She was seduced by a gadget in a shop in the same way. I'm seduced by uh, gadgets on Amazon every single day. Realize now that she was a person lost as I'm a person lost. She's a person Christ died for as I'm a person Christ died for. Love sees the value in another person second thing love does is love uh, pays the price. There is always a cost to love. An American preacher, Rick uh, Easel, I think it's pronounced, uh, describes love like this, and I love this quote. He says, love gets its hands dirty. Love takes a chance. Love goes out on a limb. Love takes a gamble. Love makes a statement and leaves a legacy. Love does the unexpected. Love is surprising and stirring. Love performs acts that steal the heart and leaves an impression on the soul. These acts are never forgotten. I love that definition because it speaks of something which is risky and scary and dangerous and exciting. And that's the life that Jesus lived and that is a life of love. Here at St Giles, we support uh, Christian Aid as our mission partner. Involved in relief and development around the world, fantastic projects all over the place. Uh, Helping refugees um, from Syria, uh, providing uh, what they need in in the camps, uh, supporting people who've been traumatised with uh, psychological help and and counselling. Read this morning there's danger of a, a cyclone coming in Bangladesh. and I discovered that Krishnader are work in, in Bangladesh uh, pre-positioning emergency supplies for when that cyclone hits. Uh, we work hard to support them. Uh, but they're not the only uh, Christian organisation doing that. There's many other ones that we could equally uh, support and uh, put our efforts behind. One of those is World Vision. And I recently read the story, or one of the stories, of their founder, a man called Bob Pierce. Uh, He founded World Vision when he was a young man. It grew and expanded, had centers um, around the world. And part of his role as the leader was to visit the different centers, the different regions, uh, see the work that was going on, and encourage the people in their work. Towards the end of his life, he became ill with leukemia. And even though it was quite advanced, he maintained uh, his program of visiting and going and seeing uh, the projects that were going on. One of his last visits was to Indonesia. And uh, although it caused him pain and discomfort because of his leukemia, he was uh, adamant that he would go and visit some of the projects. And one of those projects involved a trek out into the jungle uh, to go and see the development work that World Vision were doing there. One day he and others are walking through uh, a small village and they come up upon a young girl and she is lying on a bamboo mat down by the river. She's obviously in pain, and the scene is quite distressing. Um, Bob asks what has happened, and he's told that she has cancer and that she's going to die. And he's indignant. Why hasn't this girl been taken to a clinic? Why isn't she receiving medical attention? Why aren't our people here in this village doing something to help this girl? And they're told that she, she was in a clinic. Uh, she was receiving medical help, but it got to a stage where there was nothing more that they could do with do for her. And so she asked that she could go back to her village and she could be laid down by the river where she used to play as a child and she could have a final few days there in, in the place where she grew up. And that's what the villagers um, had done. So Bob bends down and he puts a hand on her hand and he prays uh, quietly for her. And then when he's finished praying, she begins to murmur a few words in a language he can't understand. And so he asks his guide, what is it that she's saying? And uh, he says, she's saying to me, if only I could sleep. If only I could sleep. And they realise that her condition is such that she's not able to get any rest or any respite, she's not able to sleep because she's in so much pain. So Bob begins to weep and then he uh, reaches into his pocket and he pulls out um, a little... uh, um, Uh, flask and in the flask are sleeping tablets and they're the sleeping tablets that have been prescribed to him for his leukemia because Bob knows what it's like not to sleep because you're in pain and his doctor has prescribed him these sleeping tablets so that he might be able to get through the night. He hands the bottle to his friend and he says you make sure that this young lady gets the sleep that she needs as long as she needs it. He's in the middle of the jungle. He's 10 days away from where he can get his uh, prescription refilled. The gift of those tablets to that young girl would mean for him 10 painful and restless nights. That day, his love cost him greatly. Love always costs... There's always a price if you truly love someone. When we have weddings here at St. Giles, I always tell uh, the couples being married that love's shape is cruciform. It's cross-shaped. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A sacrifice. Love costs. And if we're to be a church uh, that models Christ, if we're to be a people shaped by the love of Christ, then we will be a people who will display a costly love. We'll be a people who will make uh, sacrifices for those who are in need. Love sees the value in another person. Love is sacrificial, it's costly. And finally this, Love sometimes is about doing ordinary things in a different way. Love sometimes is about doing ordinary things in a different way. In the 1950s, the Methodist Church here in uh, Great Britain and in America was involved in uh, relief work, similar to the work that Christian Aid do today um, in East Africa. They were setting up schools and hospitals and health clinics uh, and running those for the benefit of of the communities there in Africa. And um, the man who was in charge of that was an American man called uh, Reverend uh, Ira Gillette. And what he would do is he would supervise the work there in Africa and then he would come back uh, to America, sometimes to the UK, and he would... Uh, talk about the work that was going on. He'd be on furlough, they called it, and report back what was happening and raise funds for the the work that was ongoing. And uh, one of the stories that he would tell uh, to his listeners was something that he had observed um, going on in Africa. He noticed that where they had set up their clinics, um, the villagers would often walk many miles to receive treatment there sometimes travelling for, for several days, walking, that they could get to a hospital or a medical clinic and receive uh, treatment for minor, wound, minor wounds, basic medical care, uh, perhaps some uh, medicines. He noticed that sometimes they walked so far that they actually walked past uh, other hospitals, other medical clinics, sometimes community clinics, sometimes government clinics that the government had set up. And he wondered why this was. And so finally, he asked a a particular group um, why they walked the extra distance uh, for the same treatments that were available at the government clinics. And i just stop for a moment. What do you think that answer might be? Why do you think they walked that extra distance uh, to the church's clinics? Was it because their treatments were cheaper? Was it because their treatments were perhaps uh, free? Was it because there were uh, shorter queues or nicer beds or uh, shinier operating theaters? This was the reply that those who uh, were walking the extra distance to his clinics gave him. They said this: "At your clinics, the medicines are the same, but the hands." Are different. The medicines are the same, but the hands are different. What they mean is that the treatments that we receive are the same treatments that we get elsewhere. The pills in the bottle are the same pills that we get when we go to a different clinic. But the hands that give us those uh, pills, the hands that treat us, the care that we receive... Those are completely different to the other clinics that we go to. That's the difference that love can make. That's the difference that Christian care can make. Here at St. Giles, we've got lots of uh, medical professionals in the congregation. We've got anesthetists, we've got GPs, we've got uh, managers, we've got people who work in emergency care. And I'm sure at different times all of those folk think, well, am I in the right place? Is this what I should be doing? As a Christian, am I really making a difference? I'm doing the same operations, I'm giving the same treatment, I'm managing the same budgets. Perhaps this could be a motto for you as as a Christian medical professional. The medicines may be the same, but the hands are different. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What does an ambassador do? Well, he represents a king or a country. And that's what we do. We represent Christ and his kingdom. And sometimes that may be through doing really costly, uh, sacrificial things. But other times, that will just be through doing ordinary things in a really different way. Our world has some big problems. Sometimes they seem like they are overwhelming problems. And we can't retreat from those as a church. Natural disasters, the refugee crisis, things going on in in Syria and Iraq, they can overwhelm us. But supporting Christian aid is part of our response to those. That's part of the way we seek to love our neighbours in different communities around the world. But God has called us too to love our neighbours in our worlds, in our circle, in our clan if you like, or our tribe, in our workplace, in our school, in our college. He's called us to see value in them. Perhaps a value that they don't even see in themselves. He's called us to model a costly, uh, sacrificial love. He's called us to do ordinary things in a different way. That is a huge, huge challenge. And humanly speaking, that would be impossible. That would be more than we could bear, more than we uh, could cope with. But we don't have to do this humanly. We don't have to do this in our own strength. We don't have to do this on our own. We do this as people who have received love, who have received grace, who have received mercy, as people for whom the greatest gift has been given, the greatest price has been paid. We give because we're people who have received so much. We give because we have been gifted with an overwhelming love. We extend grace and mercy to others because we've been the recipients of grace and mercy. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would learn from Jesus, not just learn about Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you give us a fresh vision, a fresh vision of your love for us, a fresh vision of the grace expended, extended to us in Jesus, that we might be people who have received your love and in turn give that love away. Heavenly Father, we can't give what we do not have. And we see the needs around us and we long to be generous and open hearted we long to be those who give ourselves away and so Lord we pray that you'd fill us afresh with your spirit you'd give us again a sense of what it means to belong to you that our hearts might be warmed and our souls encouraged that we in turn might give ourselves away for your glory and for your kingdom in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen And they're going to come back up. I'm going to have a extended uh, time of worship now, a couple more songs that we're going to sing. And um, as we sing these songs, there's opportunity um, to pray. If you as we're singing, if you feel you just want to sit down and just pray on your own, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to pray with others, we've got some uh, the prayer ministry team will be in the lady chapel. They'll gladly uh, pray for you. Or perhaps there's a need that you've seen, uh, somebody else, uh, one of your neighbours, if you like, who has a particular need, that you can see there's something there, but you don't know how it could be addressed or where to start, and you'd just like someone uh, to pray for that situation with you, or for you, or for the person in need, and our team will gladly do that. So we stand and we sing, and uh, as we do that, the prayer ministry will go on in the Lady Chapel. Let's stand.